Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I would say that would be my most favorite Bible verse. Yeah, we can do anything. Yeah. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is V. Koo, and you're now listening to my show, the Real Estate Lab podcast. How are you doing, lab mate? I am thrilled to be able to share today's episode with you. Before I get started, though, I wanted to shout out and highlight a few fellow mastermind members of the event that I have just uh, been to recently. Stephen Byram of Youngblood Film. He is a prolific music producer, music video producer. And recently, if you're following the news, you'll know that Nashville was recently hit by a tornado about a few weeks ago. And within an hour, Stephen went over to East Nashville to film the event, the aftermath. And his video within 24 hours had already been watched close to a million times. You know, this guy is so talented and he is supporting a young family with his wife, Melinda. And she is also a really good photographer. So if you're in the Nashville area and you need any music video, any photo, you know, feel free to reach out to uh, Stephen Byram and you will be able to find his information in the show notes section. Another guy I want to share with you is Sweet Tea Dan. He is Daniel Swaw, S-W-A-W. He's a realtor in the Nashville area and this guy has such a big heart. You know, the funny thing about him is that he loves Sweet Tea so much and architecture this guy loved architecture to the point where he installed a trapdoor in his house by himself. It's just, it's amazing, you know, when you get to hang out with people like that and creative like that. All right, enough of the shout out and sharing about the fellow Mastermind members. Let me go back to my guest for today's episode. Our guest is a master financial coach a public speaker, entrepreneur, and author who has coached people with a variety of money issues from just $500 in debt to $800,000 in debt. And she also coached folks with up to 86 credit cards and taught them how to pay down and pay off those credit cards in record time. Her mission is to inspire others to rid themselves of debt and actually build wealth. She encourages others to break the shackles of debt and give valuable insight into building wealth so they can experience financial freedom. Our guest today is Karen Ford. Karen's has a book called Money Matters. And this book is a number one Amazon best-selling book. The book is full of biblical wisdom regarding how we deal with our finances. Karen unfolds godly principles 
on how to manage your resources in a practical and powerful yet very understandable way. I'm sure you will learn a lot from her uh, from this episode. And she is also an avid real estate investor who enjoy buying, selling, flipping properties. She has been doing it for a long, long time, just like the rest of us. Now, let's jump right into my conversation with Karen Ford. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Lab podcast. I have Karen Ford with me here today. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Awesome, Karen. Now, just right off the bat, let me just get this out there. Are you related to Harrison Ford? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> no. <Henry Ford? laughs> no, not him either. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so, Karen, I, I understand that um, you have been investing in real estate for quite some time and you have actually dabbled yourself in multiple fields. So, I just want to build a little bit of a context for our audience so they know exactly where you're coming from. Can you share with us what what it was like um, growing up in your household? Oh, absolutely. Uh, growing up in my household uh, as a little girl, I'm one of seven children. So my mom was a school teacher for many years and my dad worked at a local glass plant. And uh, so we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't poor. We didn't do without food or clothing or anything like that but we didn't have a lot of extra things. And so as I got older, I thought, well, I just want to have a different type of lifestyle. And long story short, I ended up uh, furthering my education and became a registered nurse, but haven't worked as a registered nurse for several years. And I kind of look at it like this. Uh, I'm a master financial coach now. And as a registered nurse, I helped people get healthy physically and now as a master financial coach, I help people get healthy financially. <laughs> so it, we kind of changed streams a little bit. Uh, and then I have also uh, dabbled in real estate and absolutely love real estate as an investment. Real estate for me is a money maker. And so I can't wait until we start talking about that. <laughs> well, let's, let's dive right in. Okay. So what was your what was your first? ever transaction that you did? The first transaction I ever did, uh, we bought actually two houses and an apartment, a garage apartment. And those were rental properties. And I enjoy rental properties. You have a monthly stream of income. I mean, every single month. So I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed making the money with that. But I thought there's got to be another way to buy real estate for less than market value. So I began to investigate and um, have bought houses through auctions and foreclosures. But in the United States, in every state, continental U.S., there is in each state a state auditor office. And the state auditor office does many things. But one of the things they do is they end up with properties, real estate of people that didn't pay their personal property taxes. They didn't pay their real estate taxes. So they they end up with these properties and they're not in the real estate business. And so what they'll do is they will auction them off. So every year they will auction off these properties. And here in West Virginia, that's the state I'm in, they'll start off with the auction at $10. 
for each property. Now that may vary uh, depending on what state you're in. And that's something that you can check into. But uh, I find that very intriguing and a lot of fun. <laughs> and so <laughs> the very first property I bought and I learned by doing, and uh, because I was excited holding that number up, I, I decided I got to buy something, even though I didn't do my due diligence and find out and look and see where these properties are. I went ahead and bought a property because I kind of knew where the property was, even though I hadn't set eyes on it. And I bid $10 on it. Nobody bid against me. And I got it. Well, there's a little bit of process of time. You have to do your, uh, you have to do some paperwork, have an attorney do the title deed search, et cetera, et cetera. And I got the deed. And after I got the deed, I thought, huh, I better go find out where this is. <laughs> uh, hindsight is 2020, right? So I discovered where it was, and it was a trailer that had a padlock on it and a very large sign that said, do not enter. This was a meth house. <laughs> so, oh, so I thought, okay, uh, obviously, uh, what am I going to do with you? Because I own the trailer and the property that was on, that it was on. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be honest. So I started posting on Facebook on the free yard sale sites. I said, I have a trailer with this lot. And I showed a, a picture of the trailer, a picture of the tax map with the dimensions. And I, in capital letters, said, you cannot live in this trailer. It was a meth house. It has to be removed, but when you buy it, you're buying the lot also, and you can do whatever you want with it. So I sold it. <laughs> I sold it and I made a profit. And so I learned two things. I learned that there, you know, if you have a piece of property, somebody is going to buy it from you, first and foremost. And secondly, is uh, don't, buy a, don't buy a property at auction that you plan on making money on without at least looking at it first. <laughs> so I learned my lesson. And then from there on, I, um, I do my due diligence. I check to see where these properties are before I bid on them. So, and every year they have this auction and I make money. So that's fun too. You know, at $10 a, a property, you cannot go wrong with that price. There's just nothing you can do to screw that deal up. Right. I mean, yeah, I didn't make hundreds of thousands of dollars on the sale of that property, but I made a profit. So that that's the name of the game. But you can buy houses, you can buy lots, land, whatever at the state auditor auctions. And you can sell them for a lot more than that, too. There are always people looking to buy property, whether they're an avid investor, whether they're going to flip it. Or you may decide that you buy a property and you decide you're going to flip it. But there's money to be made in real estate, without a doubt. Yeah, Karen. So just want to take a step back here. Can you tell us how exactly did you learn about this process about the state auditor auction? Absolutely. I actually started Googling. And then I also called uh, the courthouse because every year they have a sheriff's tax sale as well. So I found out about the sheriff's tax sale and I said, well, is, are there any other sales that go on? And they said the state auditor office has a sale every year. So I found the phone number to the state auditor office. I called them. I looked on their website. 
I read everything that I could possibly read on their website to find out the process of this auction, how to buy, etc. And so that's what I did. I did a lot of research and a lot of phone calling and asking questions. So at the auction for the auditor office, do you have to have cash ready in hand to pay? Do you? Is it like a, a sheriff sale for a foreclosure home where you, like, if you bid a hundred thousand, a few minutes later you have to give a cashier check to them for that amount? Well. When you buy the property at the state auditor auction, you have to pay for it that day, but it doesn't have to be cash. You can write a check. So if you end up spending $30,000 on 12 properties or $10,000 or however much it is, you you have to pay for those properties that day before right. the end of business day. Yeah. But, so that's what I meant. You need to have the money ready in hand, whether a cashier check or money order, you need to pay that day. Correct. Got it. So can you share how much money you made on uh, on your first deal? Sure. That trailer I sold for $1,400. <laughs> so <laughs> I sold it for $1,400 and I knew I wasn't going to make a lot of money on it, but that was okay. I wanted I wanted to get rid of it. You know, I wanted to sell it. I didn't want to hold on to that property by any means. So, but since then, like I said, I've learned my lesson. You know, we bought houses for even as low as $600. And maybe after I get the deed and go in, I think, eh, I probably am not going to flip this and I'll sell it. You know, there was one house we spent $600 on and sold it for $33,000. Now, that's not a lot of money, obviously. But when you compare that to, I only paid $600 for it. I sold it for $33,000. The people that bought it got a great deal. It was a five-bedroom house, two-story, central air It needed some work. It needed new siding on the outside. It needed a front porch. It needed some things done, but they got one whopper of a deal buying that house for $33,000 without having to do a whole lot to it. So it worked out for them and it worked out for me. Yeah. So there's something I want to ask you here. For from So the $4,600 that you paid, does that include a legal cost from the lawyer to do the deed for you and the title work? Well, the title work, um, most attorneys here will charge $500. We have an attorney that will do it for $300. So The attorney fee was $300, and then uh, people have to have an opportunity to redeem the property. So that might be $20 or $15 for a certified letter. It just depends on if the attorney can locate an address for them. So all in all, when it was all said and done, I probably had $1,000 in the property, including the attorney fee and the deed filing, et cetera. So I had a thousand in it, sold it for $33,000. Right. And you mentioned that people have to be allowed an opportunity to redeem. What would happen if they redeem? Do they have to pay you an interest on top of what you already paid? Well, if they redeem it, they have to pay all those back taxes. And I mean, that's why it ended up in the state auditor office in the first place is because the taxes had been unpaid for at least three years. So they have to pay all that, plus a penalty, plus interest. So if a property gets redeemed, they will pay the state auditor office the money to redeem it. And then the money that I paid to buy the property, as well as my attorney fees and the deed filing, I will get reimbursed plus 
interest from the state auditor office. Yeah, I won't lose that money. I'll get reimbursed that money. They'll pay me back. That's great. Now, is this a method that still uh, work in this hot market right now? Oh, absolutely. Yes. It yeah, it still works. We bought um, twelve properties at the state auditor auction this past year, about six weeks ago. So yeah, great. Now, do you plan on keeping those uh, as rental? Or are you flipping them, or what? Are, what are you? What's your plan for those properties? Well, we didn't get to see the inside of the properties because we don't own them and it would have been illegal for us to try to get in or anything like that. So we evaluated the properties, the the outside, the external part of the properties to determine if we were going to bid on them. So I won't know until we get the deeds and we get in the property, uh, whether we're going to keep them or sell them, flip them or use them as rentals. I won't know until I can evaluate the inside. And it also has to depend on location as well. So, you know, there's one that I bought uh, location wise, I probably won't flip it. And I probably won't use it as a rental. I'll probably just get the deed, go inside, see what basic things need done and put a for sale sign in front and take a lot of pictures and post it on a Facebook yard sale site and just sell it and and make a profit and let somebody else use it for their own home or let somebody else use it as a flip or rental. But I, yeah, I'll probably sell, you know, one of those without using it as, as that. But to answer your question, I won't know what I'm going to do with those properties until I get to see the inside. So interesting. You just look at the houses and you just like, I'm going to bid on these houses. You got them and now you have to wait. Now, how long of a wait period are we talking about here? That is a great question, Z. Uh, it may take, well, first of all, after you bid and you pay that day, the state auditor office will send a letter within a week to 10 days saying, yes, they accept the bid. And then they also send you paperwork for you to send to your attorney to have them do the title deed search. So that has to be done within 45 days. Then after you send that. So a long story short, from the time we buy the property until we get the deed, that can take anywhere between three months and six months because the people have to have notice to redeem. Plus you have the attorney do their thing. So I would say safe to say from the day that you buy the property, it takes three months to six months before you get the deed. So what happened in a situation that you bought these houses three to six months later, you you get the deed and you find out there are liens in, in there that you need to pay. Do you get this property uh, free and clear or do you still have to pay those liens off? Well, actually, the liens are something that the attorney will discover uh, during his title deed search, and he'll send all of that to the state auditor office. And the notice to redeem also goes to the lien holders. So the lien holders have an opportunity to redeem that property or stick their claws in it and say, no, you know, you're not going to give that deed to Karen, (laughs) you know. They have an opportunity. So when I get the deed, all the lien holders or anything anybody's had against that property have all been notified. So when I get the deed, it's free and clear. It's free and clear. Yeah. Right. So out of the the 12 that you got, there's still a chance that the lien holder could redeem and and get you just pay you the money that you have spent thus far. 
uh, and you may end up with only uh, five, six houses out of the bunch that you that that's you true. That's true. That's yeah. And you just and you yeah. don't know until I mean you don't know until they get that notice to redeem what they're going to do with it. So yeah, there is a possibility you're not going to get all of the properties, you know, that you bid and you were the winning bid. So I might end up with 12, I might end up with six, but I'll end up with something. (laughs) (laughs) I will end up with something. (laughs) I'll always end up with something. Now, Karen, talk to me about the time when you decided to go, you know, from from an RN uh, to, you know, investing in real estate. What made you say you want to invest in real estate at all? Well, my husband and I had thought about another income stream. I was working as a registered nurse and he was working at his job. And we just thought, you know, you know, not that we have a bunch of time on our hands, but we thought we want another income stream. You know, we don't have to be limited to our paycheck. So that's why we decided to get into real estate and started with those rental properties. But then we thought there's got to be another way to buy properties uh, rather than going to through a realtor. And there are some auction you know, auction houses that not only auction uh, people's wares, you know, furniture, things like that, but they also are licensed to sell real estate or auction real estate. And so we've bought properties through auctions and auctioneer. And that's fun too, because you go (laughs) and there's two types of auctions. There's usually a secured auction or an absolute auction. A secured auction means the seller wants a particular number. They want a particular price for the house they're selling. So let's say, for instance, it's secured. And of course, we don't know what that number is. But let's say they want $100,000 for the house that that they're auctioning off. And the bidders bid up to $80,000 and the bidding stops. Well, the auctioneer is going to go to the seller and say, hey, this was the highest bid we got. We didn't get the 100000 for you. Will you take the eighty? That was the winning bid. So that's what a secured auction means. An absolute auction means whoever is the winning bid, no matter how low it is, is the winning bid. That's what it's going to be sold for. So let's say uh, there's a house and it's an absolute auction and three people show up. And the winning bid is, say, $18,000. That's how much you buy that house for. Because an absolute op- auction means whatever the, you know, whatever the winning bid is, is what it's going to be sold for. And, and that can actually be uh, good. <laughs> I've actually been the winning bid on that. I actually bought a house for $18,000 just by doing that. So because it was an absolute auction. The price point that you are talking about here, they're typically really low. What market are you buying in right now? Well, you know, I I like buying houses cheap. I can pay $300,000 for a house or $100,000 for a house, but I don't want to. So <laughs> what I do is I'll search um, the auctioneer's website because they'll post upcoming real estate auctions and they'll post pictures of the property, interior and exterior. Um, and it'll say if it's absolute or secured. And generally speaking, I won't go to a secured auction. I want to go to an absolute auction because I know once that bid 
is done, that's what it's sold for. I like, I buy low and sell high. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like everything else, right? Mm -hmm. For you personally, do you prefer online auction or live at site auction? Oh, I like live at site. It's exciting. Uh, I better clarify that. If I'm bidding, I like live. If I'm selling, I like online. <laughs> oh, so because, do you also sell uh, auction your house online? Yeah, you sure can. Depending on what auctioneer company you use, they can they can sell it online. They'll show pictures, they'll show the address, and people will register. And it's fun because you can go online and watch the bidding, the bidding wars. And this person bids and then this person. And that's exciting. And I can see that from the comforts of my own home. So uh, to sell, I like online. To buy, I like being there in person. So what company are you using to do your online auction? Is that HubZoo or Auction.com or some other sites? There's, there's, a, there's another site, actually. I know what ones you're speaking of. But there's a local auctioneer here in this state. And he auctions off in West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, and it's Joe R. Pyle Auctions. Uh, and so uh, he's he's local. He's a West Virginia local, but he's licensed in several states. So when and he always guarantees we will sell your property and close within 30 days. So that's a win-win for the buyer as well as the seller. You're not going to wait six months before you close on this property. You have to either have the funds or if you're going to get a mortgage, you have to know that you're going to be able to get that loan and close within that 30 days or have cash in hand because that's part of the benefit of using this auction company is that you're going to close within 30 days. Yeah. And that's certain, right? You know, you have the money. Otherwise you will lose your earnest money bid. Correct. I believe when I was bidding on HubZoo, it was around 2,500 to three grand per mm -hmm. property. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're bidding on 10 houses, that's, that's a big chunk. Right. So Karen, let's, let's take a, let's transition into your career now um, a little bit. You are a master financial, uh, sorry, master financial coach. Tell us what does that career do? I mean, what exactly do you do? Certainly. I coach individuals or couples on how to manage their money in a greater way. Uh, part of what I do is I'll ask a lot of questions to find out what does their financial picture look like. And I can usually hone in on what adjustments they need to make. People don't like the word change, but they're okay with the word adjustment. <laughs> so <laughs> verbiage is everything, right? How we word things. So I'll look and, and I'll find out what their dreams are. You know, where do you want to see yourself in 20 years, 10 years, five years, even a year from now financially? You know, how secure do you want to be? What do you want? And, and I'll have them write it down because if you don't write it down, a vision without goals remains a dream. So if you have a vision, but you don't have any goals to get and make that vision happen, then it's, it's a dream. It's, it's most likely not going to happen. You have to write things down because when you write it down, it becomes real to you. It becomes real to that individual. And I teach people how to budget. Uh, that's something else I do. I've coached people from the age of 18 all the way up to 78. And one common theme with each of these individuals is that they have never been taught how to budget, which is very surprising to me. 
But my understanding is they don't do that in the school system any longer. So they need to learn it from someone somewhere. So I teach people an appropriate budget. And a budget really is not a four-letter word. It's a (laughs) six-letter word. And it's actually can really be beneficial. A budget is beneficial because it puts you in the driver's seat of your finances. So I look at it like this, V. If I hear somebody say, well, I make all this money and at the end of the month, I don't know where it went. Or getting ready for tax time and they get that W-2 in the mail and they look at what their income was for the year. If I hear them say, man, I made that much money. I don't know what happened to all that money I made. 99.9% of the time, it's because they didn't budget. Because a person who budgets every month knows exactly where the money is going. So I teach people how to budget. I teach people how to demolish debt. I've coached people. I coached a couple one time uh, that had 86 credit cards. As God is my witness, they had 86 credit cards. So I teach people how to demolish that debt. How do you tackle it? You have to have a game plan for that, right? If you're watching a football game, It's because they have plays that they do to ensure that they're going to get the goal. And that's what I do. What are the plays that we need to do with this debt to ensure that we reach the goal of getting out of debt? And then I also teach people how to invest. What do you, where do you invest? Do you want to invest in a 401k, a Roth IRA? Do you want to invest in some stocks? Do you want to be a real estate investor? Where exactly do you want to invest some money? And I'll equip them and teach them and coach them in all of those areas. But first and foremost, I ask a series of questions so I can find out what their financial situation is. And of course, all of that remains confidential. Um, And then I also uh, teach financial seminars. I give financial seminars uh, in various locations, communities, churches. And um, I just enjoy helping people because I really want to see people win with money. Uh, And that's anybody, whether you're single, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're married. Strangely enough, the number one reason for divorce in America is money fights. It's money. That is the number one cause of divorce is money fights. We either don't make enough or or we make too much, but where is it going? And, and it's just a, it's a real, it can become a real contentious point uh, for a lot of people. So I enjoy helping people in that arena. What's your reason be, behind doing this? I mean, you, it seems like you are doing good as an RN and then you became a real estate investor and you're doing well there too. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm going to switch. I'm, I want to help people and, and I'm going to become a, a coach. Yeah, that's a great question too, V. I I enjoy, all my entire life, I've always enjoyed helping people, no matter what it was. Uh, But I see a real problem uh, with people with money. And money isn't not, I mean, if you don't know what to do with it, yeah, it can be a really difficult thing for a person, for an individual. But I just want to see people win with it. I see so many people, and, and in today's society and culture, it's almost like debt is normal. It, it, and we've, you know, over the years, 
it didn't used to be normal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Our grandmas and our grandpas, debt was not, it, debt was kind of a taboo type thing, you know, in the 20s and 30s and that kind of thing. And then society and culture, you know, the credit card came on the scene with the diners club. And then we have Visa and then we have MasterCard and all these different credit cards. And they made it so easy for us to spend money. And to be honest with you, I don't know if you know the statistics, but people actually spend less money when they spend cash than they do when they use a debit or credit card. I didn't know if you knew that. Yeah, I mean, because you don't have the you don't have money to spend. If you have no line of credit, you have no money at all in your bank account. How are you going to go negative? Right. <laughs> but let's just say let's say you do have money in your account. Let's say you do have money in your account. You have a debit or credit card, and you have cash in your wallet. It would be better if you spend cash. Uh, Carnegie Mellon did a um, they did a test uh, several years ago, and what they did they did a study. They hooked up a person to an MRI machine where they're going to check the brain waves and that kind of thing, and they simulated this person spending cash. And when they spent cash it activated the pain centers of the brain. But when they simulated this same person spending with a debit card, it didn't activate the pain centers of the brain. See, we're supposed to feel money leave our hands. If I go into a grocery store and I spend with a debit card, I might, you know, keep a running total in my brain, you know, and just so I kind of know how much I'm spending. And that might be accurate for the first two or three aisles I go down to. But by the third or fourth aisle, that's gone out the window. I don't know how much I'm spending. And I don't know until the grand total is, you know, tallied up at the at the cash register. But if I go into the same grocery store and I have cash, I'm keeping a running total the entire time I'm in that grocery store because I want to make sure I have enough money. And I'll come within just a few dollars of knowing what that total price is going to be. So we spend, we truly do think differently when we're going to spend cash as opposed to a debit card. Let me give you another example. Have you ever used a debit card uh, for just different things, maybe the convenience store, maybe Starbucks, just various things. And then you go online and you look at your your account, and you're thinking, wow, I didn't realize I spent that much money. All of the little debit card uh, swipes that you did. That's what happens to a lot of people. I, I coached one young man one time and I said, well, you know, he was doing pretty well. I mean, I think he had one credit card and he didn't have a lot of debt. And I said, well, I wonder what else you're spending money on. I said, do you ever do you ever go through Starbucks or go and get some kind of specialty coffee? And he said, yeah. I said, you do? I said, when do you do that? He said, I do that on my way to work. I said, okay, how many times do you do that? And he said, I do that every day on my way to work. And I said, how many days a week do you work? He said, five. So when we tallied it up, he was spending over $300 a month on a specialty coffee that he got on his way to work every single day. So that was an eye-opening experience for him. He did not realize that he was spending that much money every month on coffee. So I'm another set of eyes in a person's financial situation, and I'll see something that may be obvious to me, but it's not obvious to them, 
if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes total sense. Can you, now, obviously you have a lot of clients, but can you think of one that um, they joined your program and then got some benefit that you did not expect? They got a benefit that I, oh, yes. Oh, that was great. Yeah, that's a great question. I coached uh, a young lady who was 28 years old. She had been in college several years and she had changed her major three or four times. And every time, you know, you change your major, you have to take up different classes. Long story short, she had over $180,000 in student loan debt. And here's the clincher. She wasn't even working in her field. So she was not able to make any payments to the student loan. So I asked her, I said, you know, call, call the student loan people. I think she had three or four different student loans. Call them, explain the situation. Of course, because after you're done in school, those student loans, you know, you got to start paying them back. And she wasn't making enough money to do that. She said, I have. And I said, well, here's something else you can do. Call them up and don't ever come across as mean or, or uh, pride for or haughty. And what I mean by that is don't come across, well, I don't have the money, so too bad. No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. You're going to tick them off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you want to come in, you know, humble and say, look, I want to pay you back. You deserve your money because I took the student loans out. So rightfully so, I need to pay them back to you. And I want to pay them back to you. But here is my situation right now. This is where I'm working. This is how much money I'm making. And then you can just go down through, you know, this is this is how much it costs for me to eat and rent and my, my car, et cetera. I want to pay you back, but I don't see how I can do that right now. Or I can't make that $350 a month payment to you every month. Is there something that we can do? So if you come in like that, meaning, yes, I want to pay you back. I took the loan out. And so I definitely have to pay you back. But what can we do? And then you're asking them to help you figure out how they can get their money. The second thing that happened after she did that, and this is so wonderful. Now, I won't, I'm not going to say that every student loan company will do this, but I also know ask not, get not. In other words, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. And there's no harm in asking, right? The worst thing they're going to say is no. So while she was on the phone with them, she said, I don't know if you can do this or if you even want to do this. But if there's any way you could talk to your supervisor or anything that you could do to even maybe write some of this off, I would so be greatly uh, appreciative of it. And, and if you can't, I understand. About a month later, she got a letter in the mail And it was a letter from one of those student loan companies, and they wrote off over $30,000 off of one of her student loans. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to do that with everyone. And like I said, I don't, you know, she had several different, three or four different student loans. But 
if you don't ask, you're not definitely not going to get it. And there's no harm in asking. So I think that was a great benefit that I would have never thought, <laughs> really. I really didn't know that that would have happened for her, but I'm really grateful that it did. And she was absolutely elated about it. Absolutely elated about it. I mean, can you imagine getting a letter in the mail and they're writing off over $30,000 in student loan debt? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's great. You know, it's like so she's down to 100, about 150,000 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's that's awesome. You know, you're going to miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. So There you go. That's <laughs> it. You got to take the shot. It doesn't hurt to ask. Now, as a coach, um obviously I want to talk about your success and all that, but at some point I have to kind of ask you about what makes you qualify as a coach? So, what's your biggest screw up regarding to debt and money money management? Definitely bad debt credit cards, credit cards, because they're unsecured. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you buy a house and you, you're not paying, let's say you don't pay cash for a house. Let's say you have to have a mortgage to buy the house. You know, I don't think any debt is good just to be honest with you, but at least you're getting something for that particular mortgage payment. You've got a house and a house typically will go up in value and of course, location, location, location is key and keeping up the property so it doesn't deteriorate. Absolutely. What did you, I'm sorry, um, let me clarify. What did you, um, what mistakes did you make in regarding to uh, credit card debt? Have you done any? Have you, have you gotten yourself into a situation where? Oh, years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, years ago. I, I had uh, three different credit cards that were maxed out and that was, that was horrible. Yeah, I've made money mistakes. That was probably about um, 27, 28 years ago, uh, I had credit card debt and I thought, dear God, this is terrible. So, <laughs> you know, it just seems like if you just make the minimum payment, those things just never go away because of the interest rate. So definitely a bad debt, credit cards, and unless you're going to pay them off every month, which most people don't, uh, you if you cannot... <laughs> If you can't control your spending, then you don't need a credit card. And if you're not going to pay that credit card off every month, don't get a credit card. Because here's what happens with a lot of people. They think, okay, I'm going to get a credit card. Uh, I will pay it off every single month. And that might, that might last for two or three or four months. And then something happens. Maybe the car has to be repaired or something happens and it's an emergency, and you're thinking, well, just go ahead and put it on the card. Well, you just you just did it, and and then you end up not paying it off that month, and then before you know it, you're using that credit card, you know, more often, and now you have a balance that you're not paying off every month. So credit cards, I would say, avoid them. Unless you're going to pay them off every month, do not take out credit cards. Great advice, Karen. Now let's talk about your Booked a little bit. I know you have a best-selling Amazon book. I'm sorry, Amazon's best-selling book, Money Matters. Yes. Um, what's your driving force behind that book? The driving force behind that book is because I can't be everywhere at the same time, <laughs> but my book can. <laughs> Amazon is great because it's worldwide. So one of the reasons I wrote that book is because I thought I can't teach a seminar in West Virginia and Florida and California and Spain all at the same time. But if I write a book 
and and somebody's on the what you know on the west coast or in Spain or Italy or wherever they might be, they can get the book, and so it makes it easy. And, and in that particular book, I teach people how to budget, how to demolish debt. I give principles in budgeting. I give keys in demolishing debt. I talk about investing, wealth building, and I also talk about the mindset because a lot of times people will get tripped up with their with the way they think because words follow thoughts and actions follow words. So if I hear somebody say, oh, I'll never get out of debt, guess what's going to happen? They're never going to take any action to get out of debt. But if they think, you know what? This is not that bad. This is not that big a deal. I can get out of debt and I'm going to get out of debt. Well, you've already put the words in motion. Now your actions follow those words. So I talk a, I talk a chapter in that book about having the right mindset and thinking right when it comes to money. Any plan for a future book in real estate or any other uh, subject that you are passionate about? Yes, actually, I do have a book out on You Can Do It, and that talks about real estate investing. I talk about buying properties through auction, uh, flipping houses, buying them through foreclosures. I give all of that information in that book. But yes, I think I would like to buy, write another book uh, on real estate investing. And I'd like to write a book as well, specifically for women on, you know, making money and building wealth. Yeah. Just taking a break <laughs> from <laughs> writing right now. Yeah. How, how long did it take you to uh, write that book, Money Matters? Ooh, Money Matters probably took me three months. Yeah. I would write maybe 30 minutes on one day, an hour the next day, and then I didn't write every day. I didn't sit down and write for eight hours or anything like that. I just kind of meal pieced it because of my coaching job and, and other things that I do. And I didn't want to, writing is not really one of my passions. It's hard for me to sit still, <laughs> as you can tell. So if I did it at 30 minutes increments or even an hour, then it was more doable for me. So I would say three months. Totally. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, if you're listening and you want to write a book, just, just follow her advice. Just piecemeal it together 30 minutes at a time. Now, Karen, before we wrap up the show, just one last question before I let you go. What is your most favorite Bible verse? My most favorite Bible verse. I would say I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I would say that would be my most favorite Bible verse. Yeah. We can do anything. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today with us, Karen. I've learned a lot, especially the auction process and uh, how to buy properties for cheap. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure being on here with you. Thank you. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.